Welcome to the M&A Cornercast, a podcast focused on the world of mergers and acquisitions. Helping inform the business owners and advisors we work with every day. I'm your host, Chuck Dallas. I have more than 10 years of experience with mergers and acquisitions, both from a corporate perspective and as an outside advisor. Today, we welcome back Scott Bushke, managing partner and founder of Cornerstone Business Services. How are you doing today, Scott? Doing great, Chuck. How about yourself? I'm doing just fine. Thank you for coming in and visiting with us today. We're going to start out our first topic, you know, in the Cornerstone process. One of the things that's unique to the firm is that you really do not issue an asking price when you're trying to sell a business. Can you talk a little bit about that, Scott? Sure, I'd be happy to. And yeah, you know, I think when sellers come in and and again, most companies that we work with are family-owned businesses. They, you know, they have one business in their lifetime, and this is the one chance they get to sell their business. So when they think about selling the business, a lot of times they'll they'll think about, well, I've how I've sold my car, or more likely how they sold their house in the past. And it's like get a realtor in there; they give you a kind of an idea of what the value is. You put an asking price there, and you hope to get you know somewhere close to the asking price. But rarely, unless at very crazy times like we're sitting in right now, right. a little bit, do you get anything over asking price? So really, what an asking price does is set a, a ceiling of what someone's willing to pay. Typically, you know, 95 times out of 100, they're not going to pay more than that asking price. So, you know, you're that's the ceiling you're going to get. But with a business, there's so many variables in a business compared to a home. You know, there's so many copper balls in a home of, you know, how many square feet, what year was it built, how much acreage, how many bedrooms, how many bathrooms, you know, all of those things. And because all of that information is public, there's so many comps that you can really quickly dial in on what is the, you know, the expected value for this house and be pretty close. But with a business, you know, the variables are are not just what are the sales and what is the EBITDA or what's the cash flow look like, you know, is how long has the business been around? What's the reputation of the business? Does it have a good brand or a bad brand? Does it is it well known in the marketplace? Is it the market leader? Or is it just a small player in a big pond? Is there a good management team? Is the seller the owner or is the seller or the owner, the whole business themselves? They're they're the ones making all the sales calls. They're the ones making all the big decisions. And there's just a bunch of worker bees. Is their top customer 5% or is it 55% of their business? And the list goes on and on and on. So with the business, because there's so many variables and because each business that's sold, that's family held or privately held, it's typically very, very confidential. You know, we don't ever tell people what a business sold for or even... When a business for sale, people don't know until they sign an NDA. So when you're looking at a business out there, there's just not that many great comps on the open marketplace and you don't know all the variables behind the scenes. So what we try to do is we'll look at other companies that have sold that have similar size, similar industries, similar characteristics and, and see what they've actually sold for, not what they hope to sell for or, or anything else, but what are the, what's actually going on in the marketplace and talked with other industry experts you know, within our Cornerstone International Alliance or other people that we know around the country that's working a certain space and see what they're thinking on and get a kind of an idea of what's going on in the marketplace. But again, that's usually just between us and our client, the seller, to really set clear expectations and say, hey, you know, here's a baseball analogy. Here's kind of what a single or double looks like. This is not if we hit a home run or a grand slam or anything like that, the stars have to align. This is, you know, this is typically what's going on in the marketplace. And then our goal by not putting asking prices, really, that's the floor. We want to hit that or exceed it. You know, and we've done that. The last three years that have been good years, minus this, you know, COVID year has been a yeah. little strange. But the last three years prior to COVID, and we, we've averaged about a 21% premium over what we saw other similar companies selling for. So again, we've exceeded those floors. But you know, to give you an idea about not putting a ceiling out there, one deal that I did several years ago was a company out of the country and a $3 billion corporation knocked on the door, asked him to sell their company. And he was going to, you know, they said, of course, what buyers always want to do is what's your number, Chuck? What's your right. number? Because they want to set that ceiling and then negotiate down from there. 
And especially when they're in a one-on-one negotiations, that's why people are all getting calls and emails and letters going, hey, let me buy your business. They spend all that time and money knowing they're going to get a better deal if they can get a one-on-one negotiations versus waiting to see what's on the marketplace and go through a proper process like us. They're, they could still buy it, but they're going to probably pay a lot more or more cash at close and things like that. So in this in this deal, the seller wanted to give them a number between seven, he wanted to give a number around $7 million and hope to get three to 5 million. And we looked at it and back of the envelope kind of math, it was probably worth about a million dollars. It was about a million dollars in, in revenue, about $300,000 in EBIT, you know, on a three, four multiple would have been right, right around a million dollars. So if they would have asked seven, you would have A, set a ceiling that they wouldn't have paid more or before they really found out more about them, they would have said, you know, Chuck, you're absolutely crazy. <laughs> yeah. This is around right. a million dollar business. There's no way I'm going to pay seven, you know, a seven times that number. So what we did, we said, no, our process is let's package up the company. Let's show all the reasons why your company plus their company, you know, that, that synergies, one plus one equals three. In this case, it equaled like five per se. And we didn't put an ASCII price out there. They didn't like it because they wanted it. And we said, look, here's all the information. You guys are a heck of a lot smarter than us. You tell us what you think it's worth. If it makes some sense, we'll, we'll sit down and talk. Well, their opening bid to our surprise was seven and a half million dollars. We countered back at 12 and ended up at 11 million. So this guy who would have done it his way would have asked seven, hoped to get three to five and would have been ecstatic at a three and a half, four million dollar offer. Instead, we got him 11 million dollars. Now it was structured six million up front and then five million over five years as he achieved certain goals, but he achieved every single goal, got the full payout. He was a younger guy, stayed with the company, got a great competition. We negotiated a great salary and comp plan for him going forward. He was, you know, couldn't have even imagined, you know, what we would have got. So he would have been happy at a $4 million offer, but would have basically would have left seven, $8 million on the table with that deal. And another deal we worked in the aviation space. Again, we had kind of seen other companies selling in that kind of $19, $20 million range, went out to market, got five different offers, and and the top offer was in the low to mid-30s. And we're like, holy cow, you know, and it was a hot industry and, and everything else. So, you know, and others came in at the hot mid-20s, you know, no one was below $19 million. And it just goes to show that, again, if we would have put out there at 19, we could have got offers for 70, 18, 19, maybe even 20, and they would have been happy, but we'd have left 10, 15, $20 million on the table. So that way, you just never know what some Someone's willing to pay. And, and that's our job as is, is the investment bankers to really take a look and say, what makes sense in this case? What's, what does a financial buyer look like? And then what are the possibilities for synergies? So we're not going to, you know, again, a cornerstone. Our philosophy is tell people what they need to hear in order to make a well-informed decision, not just what they want to hear to try to get a client. And uh, so we set realistic expectations in writing. But then when we go to market, our job is to hit that home run or that grand slam and, you know, spend a lot of time looking for companies that have synergies and then explain to them why this makes sense. Because buyers, you know, so many companies are so busy these days, they don't have time sometimes to even figure out why should I look at this company? You know, so if we can show them, hey, we've viewed your website, we've studied your company and your industry, here's why we think it makes sense. If the numbers made sense, would you look at it? We get so many more buyers interested, and that's where we can get those multiple offers. By doing that, you allow your client to have options. I mean, that's the holy grail is A, I sell my business, but B, I have options to choose on my terms. Who do I want to buy the company versus if it's just you and me, I'm only going to get the best deal that Chuck Dallas will give me. So again, in value depends on structure. You know, is the deal going to be all cash at close? Is it going to be 30% cash at close? On average, we see most deals getting done in that 70 to 80% cash at close. Again, some could be 100%, some could be less. Typically when it's less than that 70, 80%, it's either, you know, again, there's some perceived risk there by the buyer. So either the 
owner is the company and they really need him or her to stick around in order to make, you know, transition the, the goodwill of the company and the relationships or whatever he or she is doing for the company. Or a lot of times it's customer concentration where that one customer, maybe they've been around for 20, 30, 40 years, but we've seen it 60, 70% of the company. And if they leave, your cash flow is shot and you're out of business the next day. So that where it might be, look, I'll pay you Chuck full value, but over maybe two or three years, as long as company A stays that whole time frame and, and doesn't go anywhere else. Now, the scary part is you as a seller go, okay, great. Well, what if Scott, the buyer screws up the relationship and doesn't treat them well? Now you lose that value. So that's where the goal is again, again, to prepare the company for sale and everything else. But you know, deal points that you really got to look at is, is cash at close. Do you want the most value or do you want the most value or the highest percentage cash at close? Because those are two different things. Again, no, neither one is right or wrong. Uh, seller financing. Are you open to seller financing? That's probably besides cash at close, that's the most likely second alternative piece of financing is a seller financing where the seller acts as the bank basically for, you know, one, two, three, four, five years, sits behind the bank in an equity position or, or a protected position. But basically you're going to typically get a higher interest rate anyway. So maybe you get a five, six, seven, an 8% interest rate on your money. So you're getting some kind of, even if you don't get paid right away, you're earning interest on that money versus if you go, oh man, I could have that money in the stock market or somewhere else right. or, you know, making something on that money. So you could do an earn out. Like I said, if maybe I think it's worth 12 million and you think it's worth 10, we might do an earn out to try to bridge the gap, but that might be a way to get to the value that you want, but it's going to be, you know, look at us from a structuring standpoint or equity rollover. If you really believe, or if the owner really believes that, boy, there's a huge opportunity in front of me, but do I really want to double down at my age could be, you know, 55 to 65 or whatever age, you know, more or less. And, you know, I've worked this thing for 20, 30 years. I've got little to no debt in the business. Do I really want to do that big expansion or put this big program together? Or does it make sense now that times are good to maybe take some chips off the table, sell 70, 80% of the company, leave 20 or 30% in, take off my personal guarantees, take out all my risk, and now just go in and do the things that I love to do and, and, and let my partner and my help build this company up for another five, you know, five years or, or so, and then get that second bite at the apple. Other pieces that go into the, you know, the overall value is, do you want to stay for a long time or do you want to leave? You know, if, if I, if you want to sell your business as an owner and leave the next day, I'm probably going to offer maybe a lesser value in most cases because it, increases the risk. I offer less or I offer less at close. So someone that wants to stick around for three years, you know, you're probably going to get a little bit better value because, okay, I know that this person's going to be there and they're going to take care of this business and, and continue to build it. And over time, transition all those relationships to the you know the new person or taking over the company or whatever it might be. But not all buyers need you to stick around. You know, that's where, again, if it's a strategic buyer who knows the industry, I might even know some of the, your customers, maybe you only have to stick around for a few months, you know, and then you can go versus a private equity group might want you to stick around for, you know, three, four, five years. Again, everybody has a different playbook and no, none of them are right or wrong. It's just a matter of what's important to you as, as the owner. And then really, you know, understanding how that's going to affect, you know, the overall value. You might say, yeah, I, I want to get the most value, but I want to protect all my employees. I don't want the plant or, or the facility to be moved out of Green Bay or, or wherever we are. And I want the culture to stay the same. So those, you know, the more times you keep adding those ands, ands, and ands, it's not that it's impossible in all in most cases. It just, it starts to narrow down who that pool is, you know, and again, no right or wrong. It's what's important to you, the you know, Mr. or Mrs. Owner or the seller. You know, I had one where they said, you know, I'll take most cash at close. He wanted the best chance to close and the quickest chance to close. You know, so what does that tell you? Right. He was kind of burnt out. It was time yep. to move on. He still had a great company. He was doing five million in sales with two million in EBITDA. He was just killing it. He had time has run his course. He had some health issues with blood pressure. He wanted to be done, transition the company out and, and get on with that. So, you know, there's trade-offs and everything. You know, with the real estate, in a lot of cases, people might own the real estate 
in, in a separate LLC or business entity. You know, do you want to lease that long term and, and get rent? We call it kind of mailbox money. Or do you want to, nope, I'm someone that if I'm out of the business, I've got to be out of everything and, and wash my hands clean. So I have to sell the real estate as well. That's going to depend on a different type of buyer. Again, time to close. You know, some buyers can close sooner than others. Some are much more in depth of due diligence. Others go, yeah, we're going to do our diligence, but we know this industry. We know the space. We've known you for years. It's going to be a little bit easier to get to get to close. And then legacy, you know, do you want the name to be on the sign for, for the next 10, 20 years? Or do you care if it's gone in two years? Because a different buyers are going to probably change the name to keep it uniform and others are going to use that brand and, and leverage it and, and maybe even grow it into other markets or other cities. So, you know, those are all different things that go into what is the value of my company. And that's why we don't put an asking price because what someone might accept at an all cash at close offer is very different than what value that they might accept with 60 or 70% cash at close. Or if they still have to stick around for three years versus six months. So that's where, again, one of the biggest mistakes that we see business owners make is number one, they overvalue the business. They think it's worth more than what it is. You know, we call it, you know, the proud parent syndrome. Sure. And, you know, they, they get emotionally tied to this thing and they don't know what they don't know. And there's not good comps out there and it's hard to get educated. And it's their biggest financial transaction. So it makes sense why it doesn't go well and why you think it's worth more than it is. But the second thing is that they'll tell somebody what they want because, again, all they know of is if they're not working with an investment banker, someone that can help educate them, all they think about is what's the closest thing to this? Well, my house is the closest thing. So everywhere I see, I see a house listed for, you know, five ninety nine nine, you know, or whatever it might be, or a million two. So this is where we can really bring a lot of value, you know, educate them on what the value is and why and what they could do to enhance their value. If, if they don't like that number, that knows in a perfectly okay answer. You know, our goal again is to help them prepare to maximize that value. But that's one of the things that isn't necessarily unique to a cornerstone, but it is unique to the M&A marketplace versus the commercial real estate or the housing market or anything else that they w- would see. But it's one of the things that we can do to really maximize value. And it was interesting. I just saw there's a report that came out from a university on the East Coast and they did a study on do investment bankers bring value to the middle market or low middle market. And it came out that 85% said they absolutely did. And they were happy they hired, you know, hired an investment banker. But, and they said the biggest value that they brought was managing an auction process, you know, because they didn't know how to manage that. They didn't have the time to manage that. And by bringing multiple buyers or the threat of multiple buyers, they achieved a better deal or a higher value. And that's what this is all talking about is not setting that ceiling, putting the best story forward, making sure we got all the buyers at the table and then running that auction process to really create that scarcity and create uh, that competition. So they know that, hey, if, if I don't get this, maybe my competitor is, or if I don't move now, it's not going to be here in another month, you know, versus one-on-one again, it's, well, if I don't like it, I'll come back a couple months because they're not going anywhere because I'm the only one looking at this business and I can keep kind of wearing you down as a seller until you wave the white flag and I get a good deal. This way, it, again, it helps you bring multiple buyers to the table and it allows you to go out on top and to go out on your terms. Right. Yeah. No, very good. And, and I'm sure, Scott, you've seen that out of competitors that are out there that they post that asking price, they put it on a website and just hope it sells. That's really not how the cornerstone process works. And your examples just go to show that more dollars can be achieved by doing the auction method. Right. I mean, it, there's so many groups out there. Again, not right or wrong. There's different methods for different size companies, but that reactive, let me put a little bit out there on the internet and just sit back for the phone to ring and hopefully I'll answer it when it does ring is, is unfortunately where too many folks work. We 
work on a very limited clientele and very proactive process by making sure that the people that should know about this, the privately held, publicly held companies, the financial buyers, the you know, which are the private equity firms or the family offices, we're going to make sure that the groups that should know about this know about it and, and understand why it would make sense to them to get the most value out of them. Yeah. Well, fantastic. Thanks for sharing those stories and giving us an idea of why Cornerstone doesn't put a an asking price on the business that we're selling. So again, folks, uh, we want to thank Scott Bushke, the managing partner and founder of Cornerstone Business Services for being with us today. Thank you, Scott. Thank you. Have a great day. Thank you for tuning in to the M&A CornerCast. Hopefully we gave you some insight into the world of mergers and acquisitions. We'll see you back again next Thursday with a brand new episode. 